Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. And I thought my life was over. My heart went to the pit of my stomach. Any dreams I had were kind of shattered. I thought were shattered. Any hopes of accomplishing anything was gone. And it just got to a point where that night, I thought my life was over, but it ended up, as you know, becoming like one of the biggest blessings. The more you blame people is the more you push yourself away from your truest potential because then you take the responsibility off yourself and holding yourself accountable to change. You chose to get here. He's like, I don't care what your situation was. He's like, so many people's parents get divorced. So many people get addicted to drugs. People are bullied. People are picked on. He's like, you decided to do whatever you did to get here. And he's like, and until you take responsibility for yourself, nothing's going to change. What's up, everybody? Today on the show is Doug Bops. Wow, what an interview with this man. Look, our show is aimed at sparking you to place as much focus on your life as you do your business. And when you listen to this episode with Doug, you will realize how freaking grateful you should be for this one beautiful life you are living. I don't want to give too much away uh, beforehand, but let's just say sit back and enjoy the ride. This is going to be an incredible episode that's really going to make you take a look at your life and realize just how grateful you are. And more than that, how one wrong or bad, we'll put that in quotes, decision that you can make in your life can change the entire freaking trajectory. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Doug Bobst. Doug, welcome to the show. Rob, man, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I am so excited for you to do this episode. And here's why. Most of the entrepreneurs that I interview are really, you know, they're grinding away and they're making money, but they don't look at their life in the way that I think they really should be looking. And they're not taking the time to really be grateful for all of the incredible things that they have. And when we get into your story, you know, you'll realize how one thing, one particular thing that happens in your life can shift your entire life. So I am so grateful that you've agreed to be on the show and I'm super excited to get into this. Yeah, man. Fire away. I mean, I'm pumped. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Anytime I get a chance to leverage my story 
to help not just entrepreneurs, but other people in general. I mean, I'm all for just helping and to inspire people. Beautiful. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to rewind the clock a bit, and uh, we're going to talk about growing up in the '90s in Baltimore, Maryland. How would you describe your home life? Home life. In other words, what did your parents do for a living? What was your home life like? Paint me a picture of that time. Ah, man, I I was a survivor of growing up in a divorced home. My parents got divorced when I was five, so this is probably '92. And it was it was tough, man. It was a tough tough life to live. I think because you know you're bouncing around from house to house, and divorce was a lot more stigmatized back then. So out of my friend group, I think I was the only one who had parents who were divorced, and it, it led to a lot of insecurities. Like, what's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I different? And then on top of that, you know, I I was I loved sports. Like I was the kid who like was glued to Sports Center all day every day. I was the kid who like collected baseball cards. But I sucked at sports, Rob. Like I was terrible. I couldn't jump, couldn't run, and I was always the one who was picked last. And so I started to get depressed and I started to eat very unhealthily and um you know, ended up getting uh, you know, heavy when I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old and to the point where I just developed even more insecurities as you can imagine. And, um, I was bullied in school. I survived a lot of abuse growing up. And by the time I was 14 years old, um, I started experimenting with marijuana. And that really is when my life started to take a turn from the worst. Once I was able to take something, a substance that would mask all the insecurities that I had growing up. I mean, you just set yourself up for, for failure long-term. So here you are, you're in high school. You got a few extra pounds that you're trying to lose. You're feeling insecure. And then someone says, hey, you know, look, let's try, why don't you try some pot? You try some pot, you ease the pain a little bit, but then that that boomeranged on you and it wound up giving you the munchies. And so now, now you're gaining more weights, smoking the pot, you're feeling, you're feeling the ease that you're looking for, which is sort of like, you know, eliminate that awkwardness, but you know, it's having the reverse effect because now you're gaining more weight with the munchies. Then there's another moment for you where you've got this pivotal moment when someone offers you five milligrams of Percocet. Can you describe for me what that high felt like for you? And then maybe talk about how it snowballed into a $200 a day Oxycontin habit. Yeah, I mean, so what ended up happening was the pot, right? You feel like the monkey. I felt like that monkey come off my back when I first started smoking pot, and then I just kept smoking to the point where I couldn't even get high enough, and I just started developing like a lot of anxiety. Like I started getting panic attacks, especially when I smoked. So the only way that I knew how to continue hanging out with my friend group was I needed just I knew I needed to keep smoking pot. So one day somebody offered me a five milligram Percocet. And the same monkey that came off my back when I took my first hit of pot came off my back again with the Percocet. And so I didn't, I mean, obviously I knew putting um, a pill up my nose isn't, wasn't like eating kale, right? But I didn't know how addictive they were. I mean, I'm not one of these guys who is, is a victim to like saying like, oh, I didn't know it was addictive. But I honestly like was like, I didn't know like how addictive these were. So it just literally snowballed to the point where I had to do five milligrams and 10 and 20. 40. And this was over probably like the course of like a six month period. And it was, it got really bad to the point where I literally like was $10,000 in debt to my brothers from, 
from drugs and owing a drug dealer money. And it was a scary situation. And a little, like I had to snort like a couple hundred milligrams just to get out of bed in the morning because my habit had gotten so bad. And, and I just wasn't happy with who I was. And so in order to keep masking the pain, I needed to keep putting more um, substance up my nose to keep masking that pain because the pain kept getting bigger. And what happened was, and I think what a lot of people do is they, they get themselves involved with pain and they make the pain worse by how they respond to situations. And I responded in the worst way possible by just continuing to put no- stuff up my nose, continuing to play victim. And that's what ended up ultimately ended up landing me in jail. All right. So let's, let's back up just a little bit. So now you've got to come up with $200 a day and that's not going to happen with the pizza delivery job that you had. So you decide, well, look, I need this $200. So I, what I do know is I know pot, so I'm going to sell pot. Can you walk me through what selling the marijuana did to you emotionally and maybe paint a picture of what you were like, you know, sort of like physically at that time? Ah, yeah. So I remember when I got the opportunity to, to sell and it was like, you, you feel, you feel important, you feel valued, right? Because I think I was always trying to win friends because I was so, I was picked on so much um, and I was so insecure. I was always trying to win friends by getting them pot, being like the guy who knew people, right? And then it ended up just being that I was the guy. So emotionally, for me, when my phone was blowing up all day, you know, and I'm weighing out ounces of pot at a time for people, I felt I felt needed. I felt it was that dopamine rush. Every time my phone rang, every time my my, my uh, text came through about somebody needing something. I felt that need and that value to be wanted, like something I had never really had before, right? And physically, I was a mess, man. I was, I could have been a model for Pillsbury. I was fat. I was out of shape. I could, I was smoking all kinds of cigarettes. A typical meal for me was, you know, I'd wake up super late in the afternoon and eat a cheesesteak and a, you know, a couple slices of pizza, hit up McDonald's, get some cheeseburgers. And I was just so unhappy with myself. And, you know, the more I kept selling, the more connections I made. But I just ended up getting into trouble because I was literally getting high on my own supply. Like I was literally taking my profits that I was making from pot, which I should have been saving, right? Like I heard your interview with Brett Johnson about saving money. And I was actually just, it was funny because I was just messaging him the other um, today about um, about that. But anyway, um, not to get on the sidetrack, but I wasn't saving any money. I was literally taking my profits putting them up my nose through painkillers and going to strip clubs. And it just got me into a point where I was getting robbed because I was, you know, losing track of um, my business, my actual pot selling business. Cause I was just so caught up in the painkillers. Um, my relationships were torn because I was lying. I was manipulating a lot of people and mentally and emotionally I was in prison because I was just so unhappy with the man I had become who had all this potential but here I was just selling drugs. All right. I want to I want to back up a little bit before prison. I want to talk about the moment that actually led to you having to go to prison. So one night in uh, 2008, you were pulled over for something, you know, just silly and like most people would not have this problem who, you know, who were in the, the drug world, a busted headlight, right? That's a, that's a cardinal sin, right? You don't have a, you don't have a busted headlight when you've, when you've got drugs in the car. And that night 
changed your life forever. Can you tell us the story of what happens on that night? <laughs> yeah. It's like the cardinal sin, right? It's like, so I, like you said, like I had a busted headlight and my friend's parents, like I said, while I was selling drugs and then I got involved in doing painkillers and stuff, like my decision-making abilities like went, went to hell in a handbasket. So I had this headlight out. My friend's parents kept begging me and begging me to get it changed. Like, Doug, you're riding around with all these illegal substances. You're not being smart. You know, you can't be ride dirty with a busted headlight. So I'm literally riding around with a few of my friends to go pick up some Oxycontin, Cinco de Mayo. And all it's, you know, it's, it's at night and all of a sudden I see a cop running radar. So I flash my high beams at the police officer thinking that would hide my busted headlight when really it just gave him a reason to pull me over because I high beamed the police officer pulls me over. Uh, my buddy, in my back in the back seat had a open container of beer. It's funny. I almost feel like I wanted to get arrested like subconsciously because he's like, can I, do you mind if I search your car? And I was like, yes. Or I was like, yeah, go ahead and search it. And I'm like, what are you saying? Like I had all this pot in a hidden by the spare tire, like a half a pound of pot, all this cash in the glove box. And they searched it and they obviously found everything. I'm arrested that night. And I thought my life was over. My heart went to the pit of my stomach. Any dreams I had were kind of shattered. I felt, I thought were shattered. Any hopes of accomplishing anything was gone. And it just got to a point where that night I thought my life was over, but it ended up, as you know, becoming like one of the biggest blessings. What was going through your minds um, sitting in the back of that police car? I could, I could only imagine what that was like for you because when you, you know, when you're, anytime you're in the midst of craziness happening, you're, you know, your brain's exploding, right? You're trying to figure out what the hell's going to happen. But you had to know sitting in the back of that car that this was a big deal and this was going to alter your life forever. Were you emotionally detached from the experience or were you in it and just, you know, tail spinning? I was a mess, man, because I owed a drug dealer a bunch of money. I owed a drug dealer five grand. So I was, that was on my mind because I was like, gosh, how am I going to pay this person back? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was also like, like, I don't know if you've ever been in this, these types of situations, but any like me- bad memory or decision I've ever made just all came to a head and they all kind of flashed before me. And I just remember just thinking about like how I could have handled things differently. And, and, and also like the vic- being a victim, being like, why does my life have to be like this? Why me? Why me? Why me? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was hopeless. I was like, my life is over. I'm going to go to jail. You know, I'm going to get beat up. You know, all of the stigmas, you know, like that, you know, in jail, I'm never going to make anything of myself. I, I literally like, as low as you can feel was as low as I felt that night because I was like, what are my parents going to say? They already like have a strange relationship with me. What are my friends going to think of me? Am I ever going to get married? Am I ever going to find love? Like all these things went through my head. And I just remember crying and crying and crying because I knew I had a lot of potential and I knew that. And how, how old were you at the time? I was 20. And so like, I just, but I thought if my situation was different, I could have made more of my life. And I was just so upset that it wasn't that I just kept blaming people. And, and you know, the more I've realized, the more I've grown up, the more I've, I've come to, to terms with, the more you blame people is the more you push yourself away from your truest potential because then you take the responsibility off yourself and holding yourself accountable to change. 
Yeah, I love that. That was that was really really well stated. So, a judge sentenced you. You could have gotten five years, but he sentenced you to ninety days, and he gave you the option that if you cleaned it up, um, he would actually remove the felony off your conviction. Take me back to that moment when you were standing in front of the judge, and you know your attorney said to you, "Look, he can give you five years." He can give you this. He can give you that. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's let's hope for the best. Take me back to that sort of moment and tell me what you were feeling inside, and then what it felt like when the judge finally told you what he told you. Yeah, I mean, so for me, I was high in court. So like, you know, I remember my lawyer being so like upset. He's like, "Why didn't you just? Why couldn't you get clean? Just pass a drug test? Like, why couldn't you do this?" And I'm thinking to myself, like, my my grandparents had offered me like months before you know, money for a lawyer. And I chose to get a new car because my car had blown up. I was like, well, how can I continue to sell and buy drugs without a car? So I'm in court. The judge sentences me. I'm looking at my lawyer like, gosh. And, and at this time, it was 2008, right? So I'm like, all right, well, five years of probation. You know, he sentenced me to five years, suspended everything but 90 days, five, um, five years probation, 200 hours community service, all the fines and drug classes. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, the world's going to end in 2012. So what's the point? Like, I'm going to get high when I get out of court. Like, like all these things are going through my mind that I just wasn't going to make it. Like I was having suicidal thoughts, like literally like days before I went to court, I was literally telling myself that I was going to hopefully snort like a line and never wake up again. That was like my hope. I would pray for that. Like it was so screwed up, man. And so when I got sentenced... I was like, well, I guess my life's completely over. And I had no idea what I was about to walk into when I went into jail. I mean, considering the habit I had, the detox I went, I had to go through and the, the cellmate that, to change my life. Okay. So now you're in, now you're in jail. And do you remember what it was like? Uh, do, by the way, do they take you to jail like immediately when you get sentenced? No. So what ended up happening was he gave me three weeks to kind of gather my stuff um, yeah. you know what I mean? Like develop more relationships or to, or to, to kind of, I guess, mend the relationships, you know, that I had, you know, to kind of say goodbye to my family and everything. Um, so he gave me a few weeks to gather my own time. And, um, but then I didn't stop using drugs. It kept snorting pills, kept snorting pills. And I thought, you know, because I got a prescription of Suboxone because I, I went to a doctor and I was like, Hey, I'm addicted to drugs. Like, here's my, my urine. I need Suboxone to help detox that so I'd be able to take that with me to jail. Well, I was extremely wrong because it's a narcotic. They wouldn't let me take it in. So when I went there, um, I was almost late to court. I mean, I was almost late to jail. They were like, you know, you got to show up here by 5 p.m. Or if you don't, it's considered like fleeing and eluding or escape. You get an escape charge for trying to escape. I'm supposed to, I was supposed to technically be in jail. Yeah. And I, the last thing I did was I was at a buddy of mine's house and I snorted like 200 milligrams of Oxy. I get to, 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 to jail, say goodbye to my family. I get in the detention center, I get booked and I immediately get into like a, the common area, like a bunk. And like, I'm freaking out because I hadn't been like placed in a unit yet, but the kid who was, I was sharing a bunk with, like I, I told him, I was like, I'm detoxing hardcore. You know, it felt like, you know, I was having uncontrollable bowel movements. I was vomiting. I felt like I was trying to crawl out of my own skin. And he was just telling, he kept telling me about these fights that were going to happen every Friday. He's like, you got to fight. You know, it's like, we have these boxing matches and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get my butt kicked. Like I was so Mm -hmm. terrified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the grace of God, a few days later, I get transported into this, into this, um, this cell group with 
in like a more, I guess, low profile setting, which is where I met my cellmate, um, who saved my life. You know, I met him at the Scrabble table and little did I know, Rob, that like as much as I thought it, my jail was going to be like the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to me, it ended up being something that completely changed my life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, going through before we talk about that, you know, that leaving there and how it changed your life. I want to talk a little bit about being there. And the reason why I want to talk about being there is I think that people who are listening, this show is, you know, as as much as, as this show is about tactical ways to uh, be a better entrepreneur and make more money, et cetera, we're also looking at your life. And, you know, you could have been in jail for five years. You only got 90 days. But a lot of the entrepreneurs who are listening, they're so busy just grinding away that they don't realize that, you know, these pivotal moments happen in life and they, you know, they should be so grateful to, you know, acknowledge where they are and the freedom that they have, you know. So I would suspect that when you got out of jail, that you looked at the the world and life in a different way. Maybe talk to me a little bit about what that was like for you leaving and how you s- sort of stepped into gratitude. Yeah, man. So I think one of the biggest problems we have as a society is people just aren't grateful anymore. I mean, we live in a... We're so like infatuated with like the shiny objects and the cars and the money and the green. And I'm not saying that that's not important. Okay. Like I, I, I agree. And there's a time and place for that. But I think sometimes we, we finish, we forget to wake up and smell the roses. And for me, the one thing that I, I really, really took for granted was my freedom, my freedom to not be able to call who I wanted to go where I wanted to the freedom to not be able to like go eat whatever I wanted to and so I remember when I got out, I was like, man, I'm just so grateful that I can go to like the zoo. I'm so grateful I can go to the aquarium. I'm so grateful that I can go to the mall and just walk around and, and not be worried about like where I was going to get drugs from. And I, a big part of that not only came from me being incarcerated, it came from my cellmate helping me to save my life because I was like, all right, like, how am I going to repay this dude? Like, and it was like all about paying it forward and, and giving back. And just being grateful that I had that opportunity that a lot of people don't have. There's a lot of people go to jail. Like 95% of people go to jail and they don't get out on the other side. 95% of people, you know, get into some sort of rabbit hole of addiction in the criminal system. They don't get out. So I wanted to take a different spin and be like, you know what? Like I've learned a lot through this. I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop, you know, blaming other people and be grateful for the opportunity that I had in jail to make make a life out of myself so I can help other people. I love that. I love that. Um, so you alluded earlier to your cellmate. Uh, I think his name was Eric. Tell me how Eric impacted your life. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I just want to make sure because there's a pivotal moment where it, I he said something to me that it changed my life and it still impacts me today. You know, I remember when I got in there, man, like... I was making a lot of excuses. I was like, my family this, my friends that, woe is me, victim, 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 right? And um, that's another problem, I think. Gratitude and, and the victim mentality are two of the biggest things I think our society struggles with. But anyway, so my cellmate, you know, I saw him working out, you know, doing like thousands of push-ups, all these pull-ups, working out for like three, four hours, climbing like the rails, you know, looked like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And I just remember 
him being like, you're going to work out with me one day. And I'm like, yeah, right, dude. Like, are you serious? Have you seen me? Like, I'm literally like the walking poster child, you know, for tasty cakes. It's not going to happen. And, um, and I remember him just telling me, he's like, dude, just give it a try and give it a try. And I remember, um, just before we even started working out me, just complaining to him constantly. He's like, dude, you can either be a man or you can be a bitch. And I was like, whoa, like what? Like, and I, where I was come, where I was born, and even in jail, you don't want to be called a bitch. Like when you're called a mm-hmm. bitch, you've you've probably lost in jail somehow, you know? Like, so I was like, well, what do you mean, man? He's like, you're blaming everybody for your problems. He was like, you're sitting there. He's like, you chose to get here. Like, he's like, I don't care what your your situation was. He's like, so many people's parents get divorced. So many people get addicted to drugs. People are bullied. People are picked on. He's like, you decided to do whatever you did to get here. And he's like, and until you take responsibility for yourself, nothing's going to change. And he's like, you can be like most people in here in jail, go cry in the corner, say, woe is me, watch TV, read some magazines, or you can be different, take responsibility for yourself and change. And I felt like some sort of empowerment at that moment that I was like, I think he's right. Right. I think for the first time I felt like empowered. And when you feel empowered, Rob, shit changes, man. And you start to be able to accomplish things you never thought. And then we started working out. And I just remember, you know, being in front of a bunch of grown men, getting down to do a push up, not being able to do a push up, not being able to do one for my knees, hardly being able to walk. And it just it killed me because I was like, what have I let myself become to? This bitch mentality, this victim mentality has led me into a deep, dark spot emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And now I'm in jail, barely being able to hold myself together. And he agreed to train me in there every day as long as I continued. And, and didn't, he, His deal was, you show up, I'll train you. You stop showing up, we're done. So, and that was what did it, man. The one push-up led to two and two to three and so on to the point where I was able to do a set of 10 and run a mile by the time I left. And I just remember like everybody in jail, they all like, they started cheering for me because they were like, dude, you were like the zombie when you came in. Like, we didn't even know who you were. Like, and now look at you. Like people were like sitting there clapping when I would run and like looking at me and they saw this transformation. Cause I was like the only one doing this stuff really. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, it's weird. You, you never think you're going to cry when you leave. Like, because you don't want to, like, I didn't want to leave jail. Like I was like, I don't want to leave. And not because like, I just was like, man, like this guy saved my life, man. Like he was there for me. And that unconditional love, I think is something I never authentically felt. And I'm like, how am I going to do this without him? And he gave me a- do you still connect uh, with, uh, with Eric? I wish, man. I mean, we, we did for a little while. And as a matter of fact, we actually grabbed a few workouts together, you know, on our own on, and it, it helped. Um, because I had gotten to a place fitness wise, I was able to keep up with him. But then like, he kind of, I think, you know, fell off a little bit when we went back and forth and I just kind of, I just set a, a little bit of a boundary, like once that all happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, what was he in for? So he was had a similar backstory to me and that he had a drug problem, but he had like a hundred burglaries. So like he would, you know, he was a guy that would go in and like, you know, rob a house and they weren't home and then sell all this stuff for, for money to buy, to buy drugs. And he was actually, it's just weird how, how God works, how the universe works, whatever you call it. Right. That 
He just happened to be there on a detainer waiting to go to court because he had violated probation because he would, before was had spent 10 years in, in Pennsylvania penitentiary. Hmm. So I got, I got, I got lucky, man. And I'll never forget him. I, I dedicated my first book to him. I actually reached out to him uh, not too long ago to see if I get him on my podcast. I was like, man, this would be a great interview to like have him talk about like what it was like. Everyone's heard my side of like how I, I mean, I'm sure he's got a whole different perspective and how whole for sure, you know, for sure. And you, you weren't able to get him, huh? I mean, I've talked to his girlfriend a little bit, but it's like, he's, he's a tough one to track down a little bit. He's not very good with technology. So, I mean, I, I yeah. hope for one day to meet him and reconnect with him because there's always a special place in my heart for that. And I think times that we, you know, we talk about the power of like inner circle. And I know we've both been involved with being in, involved with different groups of people that are doing some great things, but having somebody like that, like a mentor, was so pivotal for me because it was just somebody who had, he had nothing. What did he have to gain from this? Like nothing, but he just chose yeah. to save, help save me before saving somebody else, which to me is really special. For sure. I want to move into some questions that are around uh, fulfillment. When you are feeling overwhelmed now or unfocused or just out of sorts, you know, way back when it was drugs, that's what you reached to, right? What do you reach for now other than fitness? Yeah. So I still struggle, man. Like I don't, obviously, you know, I think people get it all uh, twisted that once you get off drugs and you have some success in life that you don't struggle anymore, that you don't get depressed, you don't get anxious and it's all BS, right? It's just how you manage it. And so I've, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of struggles. I mean, not with addiction, but just with life and the way I've managed it now is so much different. So other than fitness, obviously fitness is a big part of it. Prayer for me is big. Like I'm a, I consider myself a Christian. I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have anything against any other types of religion, but for me, like prayer and going and having that sense of spirituality helps podcasts really help me. I mean, it depends on the type of mood I'm in. If I'm in a mood where I need to work on my business, I might throw on a business podcast. If I'm in a mood where I need to get some like more God in me, I'll throw on maybe like a, like a, um, like a church podcast, like Bishop Jake's or something like that. You know, and if it's something I'm looking for motivation, then, you know, I'll, I'll do it based on that. I'm also like a sponge for knowledge. So like I, yeah. keep a, I keep a circle of people around me that I would want to trade my trade life with. Like, I don't take advice from people I wouldn't trade life with. I don't take criticism. I like that. I wouldn't. And it's not a derogatory thing, but it's like if someone's criticizing me and they're not happy with their life, like to me, it's like it's not as authentic and genuine as somebody who's secure with where they're at in life and being able to offer me some something genuine. So I try to hang out. So I'm not the smartest person in the room because otherwise, like, what are you chasing after? So as I feel like it's like, you're, you're, it's like the law of averages. If you're hanging out with nine people that are a lot better than you on a consistent basis, odds are you're going to get better. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Was there a particular goal that you had in your mind a few years ago? And you're like, you know, when I get this goal, everything's going to be better. And then you got it. And you were like, eh, that really didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Anything like that come to mind for you? Of course. I mean, yeah, there were several, right? Like, but I mean, the one that really comes to mind is when I thought I would, I could get as ripped as possible, right? And I'd get to 5% body fat. And I was like, you know, up to model for Abercrombie and Fitch. And like, you think that's like happiness, right? And um, I almost tried, at that point, I remember I almost, almost tried out for that show, The Bachelor, because I just was, I was single and, I was, I thought I was really good looking and I was pompous and all that stuff. And 
I was miserable, man. I was making really good money. I was making, you know, almost six figures as a trainer, which mm-hmm. is really good money. And I was just, I was miserable. Yeah. I was unhappy with myself. And, and I just hit a point where I just felt this emptiness inside of me. And I was like, I, at that point, I still had a lot of resentment towards myself, towards my family. And I just was, I was just battling these dark clouds above my head. And it just, it was hard. It was really hard for me to continue to, to live in that, in that way, because I just kept being so like hungry for something that I was not getting through fitness that I wasn't getting through money. And that's when I really started to develop a spirituality practice. And for me, like being a Christian, like, isn't about going to church on Sundays and checking a box. And like, it's not about that for me. It's about, I know that there's no freaking coincidence that a guy was helping me to save myself in jail through fitness. And now I'm helping other people do the same and sharing my story and getting these opportunities. I couldn't do that alone. And also the power of like transformation and resurrection that like, I went through all my pain for a reason. There was purpose in that. It sucked. And I don't wish what I went through upon anyone. But as I look back now, there were so many reasons why I went through it, you know, to help other people. And, and that's just, and, and, and as a result, it's given me meaning and purpose to life. It's giving me meaning to just know that there's more to life than being a trainer. There's more to life than working out. There's more to life than, than money. And that's why, like, I mean, I remember like, like now, like I, I love going on podcasts. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, this isn't going to drive money for me, but it's because I know that I was kept alive for a reason. And it's my God given purpose to share my story, to help inspire people to not make the same mistakes I did. I love that. All right. So as we, uh, as we wrap up, let's change things up a bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Huh? So I'm, I'm intrigued, man. I was doing some research on you. I don't just come on interviews and just, I don't just reach out to random people. I mean, it's like, I, I've kind of, I guess, gotten to a point where I've done enough podcasts and I'm pretty particular about shows. I go, I'm just because it's like, you know, it's gotta be a good fit, good conversation. So like, I want to make sure it's the host and, and is intriguing to me, just like I am to them. I think it's only fair. Right. So I was looking at you and I saw you do these private retreats, man. So I was like, dang, that looks so much fun. Like, what does that, like, what does that look like? Cause I mean, obviously I look at your page and I, you know, I've been stalking you a little bit just to kind of see who I'm talking to, you know, and it just looks like you, what you do is just so unique. Like what, so what exactly does that entail? I recognize that there was a need for high-end entrepreneurs who absolutely loved what they did, but really wanted to be having experiences more with other entrepreneurs that loved traveling and loved experiences. So I, as a test, I put uh, together 20 people, took them over to uh, the Greek islands uh, in Mykonos, and I created an experience for them. And they went nuts over it. So I decided to offer it to my listeners. And so now we do two events a year. We just got back from Italy a, a little while ago. And uh, you know, I do them twice a year. So pretty much every six months, an entrepreneur can count on, hey, look, I got this part of my life serviced. I'm not going to go 10 years without you know, ever making it to Europe. I'm going to do something amazing. And I want them to spend as much time on working on their life as they do working on their business. It's freaking awesome, man. What cool, an idea. Cool stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, how did you, like, how does that, so people, I guess, pay you like a fee, I guess, and then they pay their own way. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a fee and everything's included. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really great. So we can, we can talk more about that if you have an interest. You, you, you would love it. It's really incredible. Yeah, man, for sure. Well, listen, this has been a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable on this. And um, do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Uh, I mean, not not really. I mean, I just want people to inspire people to just know that if they're hopeless or in the depths of despair, that that life's not over and that they just got to really be diligent about becoming the best version of themselves, who they hang out with, the types of things they do, taking care of themselves. And, you know, like if people are interested and want to find out more about like what I'm doing, you know, the, I just started the adversity advantage podcast and they can just want to follow me on Instagram. I mean, and get some more info about what I got going on there. It'd be awesome. Beautiful. Well, thank you again for taking the time. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I, I really, really like, thank you too. You got it. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.